Hey, Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey, Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. Hey, Amarillo is sponsored this week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum in Canyon. It's the largest history museum in Texas and one of the hidden gems of this area. So if you're interested in local history, from the ranchers and pioneers who settled this area to the American Indians who lived here long before that, you can learn so much from the artifacts and collections at PPHM. Learn more at panhandleplains.org. Today's guest is Bruce Mosley, the executive director of the Turn Center. The Turn Center is a local nonprofit that provides comprehensive therapy services for children with special needs. Bruce ended up there in 2015 after a career as a practicing lawyer and then as a professor at Amarillo College. Well, the, the Turn Center has been around for decades, but under Bruce's leadership, it's been doing some really impressive things. And later this year, we'll be presenting the results of a groundbreaking research study to an international audience in Geneva, Switzerland stuff that happened here in Amarillo. So Bruce is one of those people who are just really enthusiastic about the city and the work that he does, and I wanted to dig into his story. So here's Bruce Mosley. Bruce Mosley, welcome to the Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate it. Yeah, so I want to talk uh, for sure about Turn Center and some of the, the really interesting work that you're doing there. But before we get to that part, Bruce, I'd just like to hear your story. Uh, so kind of walk me back to the beginning. How did you end up in this area in the first place? Yeah, sure. So I'm, I'm from Denton originally and grew up in Flower Mound, went to high school there, college at the University of North Texas in Denton. And then uh, after several moves, I was living in Austin and met my now wife who was going to school at UT. And I think like most Amarillans who are not from here, I married an Amarillan and ended up here through her. Do you have any idea if at the time, was was she thinking of eventually coming back here, or was that just because that was where she was from? Yeah, no, she uh, her family is very tight, okay. and so I think you know there was always uh, she wasn't going to be too far from her mom. Did and you have a perspective on Amarillo before you met her? I mean, was it on your radar at all? I had passed through, you know. So I think like most people, I had I had passed through on the way to the mountains, uh, growing up in the Metroplex, and so that was my only real knowledge of it was having passed through and gone to the big Texan. Okay. So, so you did, you did the Amarillo stuff when you passed through. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It was like kind of one night on the way to Denver. After you guys met, like how quickly was it before you ended up here? Oh, you know, so we met 2002 or three. I'm bad about when (laughs) things happened in my life. It's terrible. Um, uh, But so 2002 or three, and then we moved here in 2007 after okay. I graduated law school and she graduated from UT. And then you started a career here as an attorney. That's right. Yep. I, uh, right when I got here, I started as an associate attorney. What, what was the firm that you worked it, for? It was, it was Law Office of Chris Stewart, and he's okay. now with Burdett Morgan, which right. is a bigger firm, but it was, it was just he and I. Uh, so a small firm and very specialized in intellectual property. So we did trademarks, copyrights, license agreements, and litigation related to that that kind of practice. Okay. And how long did you do that? Uh, not very long, thankfully. It's a, It was a stressful job, even though I loved it. And uh, I feel like what we were doing wasn't overly stressful or, or controversial mm-hmm. or, you know, anything like that. But And I know Chris. I mean, he's pretty passionate about the work that he does. Oh, he's, he, sure. he really, he had kind of cornered the intellectual property law market in a way because that's all he did. And so he was 
highly specialized in intellectual property. And in Amarillo, you think, is there a lot of that work to be done? Well, there's actually quite a bit. Right. And so uh, it, it was fun and I liked it and I learned a lot. But being a litigation attorney, which was primarily my responsibility with him, uh, is stressful. Filing papers every day and arguing and surrounded by conflict all right. day every day is not uh, it's not a great way to earn a living. Honestly, I mean it's why lawyers uh, get paid a lot because yeah. it's it's stressful and so you know it's 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 why people you don't hire a lawyer and everything's going great. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's because everything has gone really wrong and now it's $200 an hour to fix it. You know, so I took it seriously and I learned a lot from Chris and, and, but it was, you know, if you're doing your job right, you should be pretty stressed about things. And, you know, when you start adding up clients and uh, you start adding the stress and, um, it just got to where I didn't feel like it was going to be something I did forever. Okay. Pretty okay. quickly, pretty quickly. I mean, so I think, you know, a, a couple of years, right. you know, full-time uh, practicing law and, and the AC gig kind of presented itself very luckily. I mean, it's kind of a funny story. Yeah. So actually. tell me what you ended up doing there. Yeah. Well, so we actually couldn't call ourselves an intellectual property law firm because we didn't have a licensed patent attorney. And so it was like, well, why don't we have a licensed patent attorney? Why don't, why don't we have one? Why don't you or I become one? And that's complicated. And and so it, you have to take the patent bar exam to become a patent attorney. So it's so, a separate one from just a regular Yep. Bar it, exam. When you become an attorney, you're licensed to sue for patent infringement and sue for a billion dollars and all of these things. But you can't file a patent with the mm -hmm. United States Patent Trademark Office unless you take the patent bar exam. Well, you don't even have to be an attorney to do that. Uh, you have to be an engineer or scientist, basically, or have a degree in science or engineering. And so I looked into this, and uh, I have a degree in business, and so I didn't qualify to sit for it. Let me assure you, I'm not smart enough to write patents. So first of all, okay, so it's, I, I just that, that wasn't really ever something I thought I could do. My brain doesn't work like that. I'm not an engineer type. But so th there was a business idea, though, uh, behind this. And so I, I dug in and saw that, well, the option B for sitting for the patent bar exam is you have 40 hours of science or engineering classes for science and engineering majors. And so I started taking them at Amarillo College. While I was a litigation attorney, I was in my suit and tie taking chemistry one, biology wow. one, physics one, so engineering an one. An unconventional student like <laughs> Very, AC yeah. is known for, you know, well, yeah, non-traditional. Yeah, so in, in so there I was the kind word. of traditional. I was kind of a traditional student at AC because yeah. I'm not traditional. But still, in these big science classes, I was definitely the old man. And uh, it was funny. And so now I'm... I'm one class away from qualifying to take the patent bar exam, which I'll likely never do. But uh, so I learned that there's a paralegal program at Amarillo College while I'm taking these classes just per chance. And so I went and met with the program director about potentially teaching a contracts course or a constitutional law course or, you know, a litigation course, because that's what I was doing. And I thought, man, I would love to teach and it would be incredible. And she said, well, no, I'm not hiring adjuncts, but I'm about to go put in my two weeks notice. Um, so mm -hmm. the full time job, or I don't know if you're interested in that. And it dinged. And I said, well, wow, that's interesting. And she literally took me downstairs to the chairman of the business department, who's a good friend of mine now, David Hernandez. And she's like, uh, I'm putting in my two weeks notice, but this guy might be interested. <laughs> Here's my replacement. Yeah. And, and it happened I wow. mean, almost uh, almost immediately. And how long were you teaching then at AC? Almost eight years, I okay. think seven, seven years full time. And did you enjoy that a lot more than the actual practice? I so. loved it. I, I really loved it. I, I thought I would honestly die teaching at Amarillo College and hope to still. I mean, I, I, 
I'll t- I teach a class here and there still mm-hmm. for the management department and legal or legal studies department. It's been a couple of years, but uh, I still hope to in the future because I love it. I love teaching. I kind of found my passion there. It was yeah. the first time where I was all in. It wasn't a job at all right. for me. And Amarillo College provided an infinite number of opportunities for me to engage with the legal field and education. And it was so much fun. I mean, we had legal studies club that we started and we traveled to DC and New Orleans and Austin. And we started a legal studies clinic where we provided free legal services to the Amarillo college community. And it's alive and well. And Robin Malone, my replacements even taken it to whole new levels where she's gotten Texas bar foundation grants. And she's, she took a, what I, a little bitty thing and has really uh, blown it up into something cool. Um, but, but Emerald college just has all of these things. Yeah. Um, Badger hearts uh, was a club I, I ended up leading for a couple of years and it's, it provides support to kids who are graduate out of foster care hmm. and they have a bank, they hold a banquet for them and give them all of these gifts to start their new apartment. And it was a fascinating, a student started that club, uh, at Amarillo college. And it was those kinds of things. It was, and then I meet all of these professors who have these PhDs from these world-class universities. And there are dozens of world-class experts at Amarillo college. I mean, you know, so I I just really fell in love with Amarillo college and everything that it was doing and is still doing. And, you know, Dr. Matney and, uh, Dr. Russell Lowry Hart, both were just really mentors for me. And it was my first dabble in leadership, really. And I just got to learn so much from them and these other experts. Uh, I was surrounded by experts up at Emerald College. I felt like in a really diverse number of fields. I think there were 83 programs at Emerald College when I worked there. And there's probably something like that now. And so you think about, wow, there's 83 usually doctorate level program coordinators at Emerald College. That's cool. Yeah, um, and, and people often, you know, not in Amarillo necessarily, but look at a junior college or a two-year college, you know, as as something lesser, not knowing the level of scholarship that happens there, the level of instructors that are there, the, I mean, really the involvement in the community that AC provides. I think um, maybe I had remarkable that. remarkable here. I, I, and I also think I maybe had that preconceived notion myself um, and, until I got there. And when I got there, I thought, wow, this is special. It's really, there's nothing watered down about right. the first two-year experience that's happening at Amarillo College than anything I experienced at my university or you know, even law school. I mean, I thought the, the level and quality of the education was top-notch, and I was super impressed, and I was driven by these other people who were doing really cool things. There's really cool things yeah. happening at Amarillo College. It's a fascinating place that we have here. Yeah. Well, and I make that observation as somebody who graduated from Emerald College, you know, 20 years ago, and, and I'm still involved with, say, the, the journalism department, their media department. And I talk to students who graduate from there and move on to a larger university, a four-year university in, you know, in the state. And they come back and they're like, man, this place is really disappointing. I feel like I'm not learning the things that I learned, you know, during my four semesters at AC. Yeah. Which always kind of takes me off guard, you know? It, right. No, it's happened a lot. That happens a lot, actually. That ha- and, and with doctors, lawyers, you know, those type of people who are getting these graduate level educations will tell you that, that their experience at Amarillo College was as good as any. And, and, and there's a small class size part that goes to that. Right. And there's a accessibility of the professors and, uh, you know, that kind of culture uh, that Amarillo College has created. It, it's really it's really neat. So beyond your, um, you know, the, the home you found at AC and, and the passion that developed there, you didn't end up staying there as a full-time 
instructor professor. So what what happened to lead you away? Yeah, so um, I, I was actually just on the board of the Turn Center, which also happened just kind of per chance. I was on the business council representing Amarillo College of the Chamber, uh, so the Chamber of Commerce, and they like to meet monthly at different places. And so we had our meeting at Turn Center. So it was I had the address punched in and showed up and you know, went to the boardroom, had no idea, literally no, I had, I had knew nothing about it, just that it was called the turn center and it was at 1250 Wallace Boulevard in the medical center. That was all I knew. And so, and that we were having our meeting there. So we, uh, go into the boardroom and they show a little video, you know, with a rascal flat song that tugs on your heartstrings with all these pictures of these children with, uh, disabilities, um, and overcoming them in these pictures. And I mean, I'm bawling, crying (laughs) one minute into this video that they're showing. I mean, tears coming out of my beard, not like, Oh, I've got one I can hide. It was, I was, was you know, full on ugly cry. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, and so I think the, the, the people who were, with the turn center, you know, jotting down, we should call them. We, we should have this guy on the our board. Worked. And I got that call. Yeah. I got the, Hey, you should join the turn center board. And it was, well, yeah, you're right. I should. Um, absolutely. And so I, I fell in love with it instantly. I mean, it was a really powerful thing for me. Did you uh, have any connection to like kids with disabilities or anything like that prior n- to it? None whatsoever. Uh, you know, my wife studied special education okay. at UT and, and, uh, taught at the the Rise School of Austin, which is for children with special needs, and so I had a little bit of an introduction with her, but not really. And so it was it, it wasn't anything that had affected my life, uh, but it just it affected me profoundly um, to to put myself in the shoes of the parents of a medically fragile child. Um, it just it really hit me hard uh, that man that uh, my struggles aren't real struggles, and I you know um, it really was a perspective change for me. And so I joined the board of the Turn Center, and after gosh a year a couple of years I was on the board. They were without an executive director, and I was actually helping with a lawsuit that was going on that Turn Center was just kind of ancillarily related to, and talking about a a hearing that was coming up, and I was going to represent Turn Center on it. And so I'm meeting with the chairman of the board, and he joked with me, uh, Jeremy Pratt, who's a banker, hey, who's going to step up and run the Turn Center, you or me? Just joking over lunch. I I mean, I remember it at Malcolm's like it was yesterday. And it was like, well, (laughs) it's not me because I've got my dream job at Amarillo College. I mean, I just, it's, I'm going to die at AC. So that's funny. But it definitely planted a seed and something happened where it was like, wow, you know, what, what if I was the executive director of Turn Center? What, uh, what would that mean for our family and our future? And my wife and I did the whole pros and cons for a while of gosh, summer's off. <laughs> I, yeah. you know, chairman of the business department, I kind of get to write my own schedule. And, you know, I just had a really perfect gig at a place that I loved at Emerald College and still love. So it, it, but it weighed heavy on me. The opportunity came and we just, we decided that for our family, it was the right move. And, uh, and it certainly was three years later, um, having, having been there, it, there, it's clear that that's where I was supposed to be. Before we, we go much further, I want you to give listeners an idea of what the Turn Center does. So for someone who who maybe doesn't understand the full breadth of special needs that it addresses, the clients, the patients, you know, that, that you deal with. Tell me what happens there. We provide therapy to children. And so that, that takes many forms. Uh, for decades and decades, it was speech therapy, physical therapy, and occupational therapy. We've recently started offering aquatic therapy because we built a pool there on site and we've hired licensed professional counselors. So we're providing mental health counseling as well. 
And there are other therapies available. Uh, I mean, the more you dig in, uh, the more (laughs) there is that we can and should be doing for these kids. Uh, To give an idea of the breadth, last year we provided therapy to about 1,500 kids. And those kids had about 200 different diagnoses. And so if you think of, uh, you know, one of our most prevalent diagnoses is autism. So 130-something kids with autism. A lot of children with cerebral palsy. A lot of children with Down syndrome and, and, and other things that I think people are familiar with uh, when you think of, uh, of of a child with a disability uh, that we know the name of. And then there are lots of children with rare syndromes and diseases, uh, lots of children with unknown developmental delays. Mm-hmm. You know, But I think one way to describe all 1,500 kids that we're helping and providing therapy to is that they haven't hit some developmental milestone pediatricians and we know when a child is supposed to hold their head up we know when they're supposed to be able to crawl and walk and talk and at their milestone checkups when they're not we get a referral from the pediatrician to do a therapy evaluation and that's when our therapists step in and And it's not just kids from amarillo but from all of the texas panhandle right i mean and further yeah but so all yeah definitely all over the panhandle families drive a couple hours one way right. for a couple hours of therapy and then two hours back. We have a lot of families who do that. But so it, it's it's the only nonprofit in the panhandle uh, providing pediatric therapy of our kind. And BSA and the hospital have pediatric therapy as well. And there are some other for-profit places in town that do a good job. But everyone is strained and there are more kids to help than we can, yeah. just, just like most communities. And it's hard to describe Amarillo as a rural community, but I think when you start getting into healthcare specialties, we, we deal with some of those similar issues uh, with respect to getting an occupational therapist in Amarillo. That, that for us is is probably one of the biggest challenges. And psychologists, we, we don't have psychologists right. in Amarillo. It's a serious issue. Uh, we, we don't have any pediatric orthopedists. There are things that our kids have to go to Fort Worth and Dallas for for surgeries. And we're and I'll have to give a shout out to Children's Miracle Network and Texas Tech. You know they they've partnered and worked hard to bring us more pediatric specialists. And we got a neurologist about a year ago, uh, which is a big deal. But and, before the Turn Center, you know, even all of those therapies were not always available here in this area, right? Yeah. So and so, well, so Turn Center goes goes way back. Um, interestingly, and so a lot of people don't know that. I mean, the history is fascinating. But you know, it was formed. I can trace the roots back in 1931. Okay. Um, I mean, it was called the Crippled Children's Center of Amarillo. Things have changed since then. Yeah, politically uh, correct. Yeah, and but so that was the 30s, and it was the Cerebral Palsy Treatment Center. And then I would say the name that most people are more familiar with is the Children's Rehabilitation Center. Okay. It was branded the Children's Rehabilitation Center in 1947, and was that name until 2010, when the Children's Rehabilitation Center merged with the Amarillo Speech, Hearing, and Language mm-hmm. Center. And so that had been separately formed in 1959, and was more speech therapy services for the deaf community. Um, and so Children's Rehab and Speech and Hearing merged in 2010 and took on the new brand name Turn Center. And so t- Turn Center's only been around in name eight, not, you know, going on nine years now. Okay. Uh, but, but its history goes much further you know, 88, back yeah. It's, it's, been, it's been providing therapy to kids for 88 years. And as, as a nonprofit, you know, we don't typically think of the, this types of medical services and therapeutic services as a nonprofit kind of thing. But 
that being the case, like where does the funding come from for the turn center? The majority of it comes from private donations. Okay. So that, you know, and that's a struggle always. So that's an annual struggle. And any person in the nonprofit community here will tell you. Uh, last time I counted and checked, uh, there were 1,018 501c3 nonprofits in Amarillo. And that is a lot. It is a per lot. capita, and you know, which speaks to the Panhandle spirit and our the giving. And we have a very, very, very giving community. I mean, it's unbelievable. It blows my mind to be honest. Uh, the generosity that Turn Centers received over the decades. We have to grow, and there's all these kids that need our help. The community has stepped up every time. Every time we said we need to grow. Even this last year, we had 120 kids on our waiting list at one point. And, and we're adding on to our building. Even since it became Turn Center, on average, it's grown 10% every year. Wow. N- so nine years of steady growth. You're not, not just trying to fund what's happening now, but you're looking at increasing the capacity to reach all of these other kids that are not able well, to come. And, and we're, we're on the waiting list. You've been to Turn Center and seen, but if you come in an afternoon, we're, you know, they're on, we're on top of each other. Uh, all of us, everyone. It's uh, That little building is strained. And so the... The capital campaign that we've wrapped up, we're breaking ground in April uh, to more than double our square footage there on site, which is incredible. Yeah. Um, and Greg Bliss is our architect, and he's really the genius behind that. My brain doesn't work like that. I mean, I tried for two years to figure out where we could squeeze an inch of our property, and I, could, I came up with very little. And he came up with this awesome plan where we can have a gym and therapy space and office space. And the gym's a big deal because of these sports we play, too. It's it's not only therapy space in the afternoon. At night, it's going to be this adaptive sports complex, Okay, which is cool. I mean, yeah. we, we've got basketball teams and bowling teams that we can't do bowling there, but we have a huge bowling team, uh, the Turn Center Tornadoes does. And so we're going to get to practice soccer and basketball and uh, other sports indoors because as you know, here in Amarillo, the, the weather's very unpredictable right. and usually not great for children with special needs outdoors practicing. And they don't always have the opportunity to find that sort of competition, you know, that regularly abled kids are, are able to just enjoy because, you know, Kids Inc. is so ingrained in, you know, everything that the kids do growing up. So that opportunity is a really unique thing for them. Yeah, this this partnership with Kids Inc. that we started, I don't know if yeah, you've heard yeah. about it. So, yeah, it's called Kids Inclusion, and it's providing – a lot of opportunities and, and it's kids with and without disabilities playing together. Okay. And that's the whole idea. And so far we've had, you know, almost 200 kids play soccer, track and field. And now we're starting a bowling league that starts in February and about half of the kids have had a diagnosis and about half of the kids have not. It's really building this community um, around an inclusive mentality. And, and that's the fun part is that, What's happened to me in my three years at Turn Center is that it's we're trying to create these opportunities for the kids who come to Turn Center. And when we do that and we partner with all of these outside agencies and entities and provide these opportunities like a dance class or an art class or th- these sports opportunities, the, the kids, the typically developing kids and, and us adults benefit more than the kids that we're designing this for. Hmm. You know, we're the getting to be around this community who appreciates these opportunities and for us to experience this diversity um, in such an inclusive way. We've only done one cycle of sports and has already created unbelievable moments for kids in wheelchairs and kids in walkers and kids with severe autism who just these opportunities didn't exist before Um, and where it's okay to have a meltdown. 
And that's mm-hmm. part of it. And everyone else can deal with that. We can all rally around the fact that some of us are different. Yeah. Some of our brains work differently and that causes us to behave differently, but that's okay. I had a weird thing happen to me at one autism conference that I went to a couple of years ago where the speaker was, I think it was from Brown university. And he, he made this comment that we, we spend a lot of time and effort and money providing therapy to children who have a diagnosed mental disorder. Um, and we're providing them therapy to make them act in a way that is more comfortable to us versus mm. this idea that maybe, maybe we need some therapy on how to, uh, be okay with them behaving differently. And it just kind of hit me in a, in a weird way that uh, they're, they're, they're just, they're different. It's, and like, that's cool. it's like we're trying to fix them when really we could all be sort of adapting to exactly. work better with each other. I, I mean, uh, I, I can say from now working with these kids every day that these children with autism are, are the smartest kids I've ever been around. They're the smartest people in the world and they have struggles that are mighty and, and real um, and their families do too. And so I, I don't mean to minimize that in any way because it, it's, it's, it's a real struggle for the community, for the families, for the kids. There's a real struggle, but there's also this unbelievable potential in every one of them that we're trying to untap. A lot of these kids are, are nonverbal, never said a word in their lives. And, and, you know, we're finding them a device so they can find their voice I think we evaluated 59 children in the last two years who had never said a word and who are now using some kind of device to, mm-hmm. to communicate. And that's been very interesting to watch. I mean, since we're on the topic of autism, I, I know one of the ways that the Turn Center has been in the news lately is with the aquatic therapy. And, and a lot of what isn't just something unique to Amarillo, but a truly groundbreaking kind of study that you've been doing and that you're going to end up presenting in Geneva, you know, and in a few months. So tell me, tell me about that study and, and sort of how that happened. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm, I'm getting a lot of credit for this and, and, uh, I, you were just in the right place at the right time. Big and, time. I mean, more so than anything, really, it's hard for me to explain, um, how just things fell into place on this so well and how it's already received this kind of international attention is, is truly mind boggling to me, my, you know, and I'm the one uh, going through it. I can't really believe it. But so we have a medical advisory board at Turn Center about 20 doctors and specialists. And one is Dr. Sloan Rush, and he's published research on eye surgeries, and he's an ophthalmologist. And so he, anyway, and he, he's, I describe him as a research genius, as, as, you, as I've told you before. And you, his brain works like a statistical computer kind of way, so he can come up with it. He came up with overnight this aquatic therapy for children with autism study. And there had only been four studies ever published in the world on that subject. And so ours is going to be the world's leading study on this because he knows how to power the calculations in such a way to, that it's repeatable and reliable. And so we've, you know, with 22 children uh, with autism, uh, we provided aquatic therapy to, to study is that beneficial versus just our kind of land-based therapy. He sort of designed the study to capture all the data and all of the you know accounts that can sort of make it an official scientific medical document. Right. Um, but all of that anecdotal stuff is something that you were kind of aware of and that the Turn Center was in a position to try to test out with with the pool. Right. Correct? Yeah, no, it's exactly right. So I tell mean, me, I mean, tell me what happens, so, the things that you're seeing. Yeah. So the I mean the most fascinating thing that we've seen is that the children's speech has exploded. I mean, several of these children, 22 children, nine that I can think of that had very little speech or none, 
something about being in the water has caused them to, their speech to explode. And my favorite story that I share with everyone is, and you, you know, I think you wrote the article about my little friend Riot, who was completely nonverbal, had never said a word, uttered a, a sound in his life, and he was three years old. And first time in the pool, he started singing his ABCs. Hmm. You know, and that, that story, I just, I, I it, you know, it gives me goosebumps all over and I, because it, it's unbelievable. Nobody can explain that. And there's no, that, nobody predicted that or that's, you tell that to people and they're like, well, yeah, of course, that's, that's what happens. You know, no. And, but this is, it's happened with yeah, it's say, eight or nine kids. Itself, yeah. And it's not just when he's in the pool that his speech, you know, it's, you know, he gets out of the pool and he's talking now. And, the, and it, somehow it unlocks something. It, and it, it, yeah, it does. And it's, a, it's the sensory inputs. And so the, you know, autism is, I'm oversimplifying, but they're, they're, they're dealing with an overstimulated sensory system. So light hurts, sounds hurt, touching them hurts them, you know, in a painful way. It's hard to explain, but that's the way the older people with autism describe it, that it's, you know, it's, it's a sensory overload. And so all of their stimming that we call it, if they're flapping their hands or they're walking around in circles or spinning or, uh, you know, they're really, they're really just trying to get comfortable. Hmm. Um, they're really trying to get over the something. There's something loud or something that's really hurting them. <laughs> um, it's painful. And they're trying to get past it um, and through it. And so a lot of times it looks like noncompliance or a behavioral issue. And it's, man, they're trying really hard to comply. <laughs> um, it's just that their system is overloaded. And there's something um, about the water softens that in it some or, way. You know, clearly. I mean, uh, something about it, the density of water, the buoyancy, you know, I think, I believe it's water's 30 times more dense than air. Uh, that sounds right to me. I, I, I made a, I made a B in my physics class. <laughs> so um, what does from, the therapy look like? I mean, is, is it different for every kid or is it really just standard and playing and, in the pool? You it, know? No, they, it's, you know, they've standardized it in a way we get all of our therapists got some aquatic therapy training and they've adapted this, but it's, 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 it's definitely designed for them. So there's sequential modeling and it's, uh, there are, there's an iPad in the pool and there's, there's a lot going on. It's not your standard, swim across the pool and back or you know it's not a swim lesson it's definitely therapy mm -hmm. um and and these are licensed occupational therapists and physical therapists and speech therapists who are providing it so that it, it, it's very interesting um to see it and you know so what we were measuring really we were trying to we were trying to measure their happiness because that's what we want to improve. That's what we decided we want. What, what do we want at the end of therapy? And it's what we want these kids to be happier. And so how do you measure that? That's a really hard thing to measure. But we found an instrument that had been indexed in a way that Dr. Sloan Rush approved because it had been out there before. And it, it was a pediatric quality of life scale. You know, it's basically a parent interview before and after uh, the therapy the 10 weeks of therapy. And so it's you know, basically their social functioning, their emotional functioning, their physical functioning and school functioning were our four. Okay. And then one global index on, on, on this. And the global index was every kid improved. Wow. Essentially they all, they've all benefited from the pool, especially with social and emotional functioning, which is what we hope for. I think maybe one interesting thing that we found is that they didn't improve on their physical functioning, which it's, it's 10 weeks of physical therapy in a pool and they showed no improvements in physical functioning. And you just kind of scratch your head at that result. And then you think well, everything else, but that's not improves. their, and that's not the, their deficit was why it makes sense. Okay. So autism, the, the diagnosis of autism doesn't affect your physical capabilities. So they started the study completely physically capable <laughs> and they ended the study physically capable. That wasn't something that we were even trying to improve. If when you think of, what autism is, uh, autism is not a physical, 
disability. So the fact that they improve socially and emotionally is very promising. And the fact that this is simple aquatic therapy is also promising. That this is going to be repeatable across the country. That this isn't some magic science where you have to go be trained for two years in Europe. Right. Uh, it wasn't that you just had a really fantastic therapist. But although we do. you do, you know, but it, it, right. it's something that's repeatable that other places, other cities can can take and build on what you found. That's what Dr. Sloan Rush keeps getting excited about, which is why we'll publish at least two studies in leading journals soon this year on this one study. And now it's just, it's kind of opened up the potential for many more research studies up at Turn Center. And Dr. Sloan Rush wants Turn Center to be synonymous with St. Jude's or Scottish Rite uh, when you're talking about pediatric therapy, because we're the experts on, and we do have 34 licensed therapists who are all experts and are on the cutting edge of what is the evidence-based best therapy for these kids. And I can tell you, I've got the most dedicated therapists trying to figure out how they can best help kids. And the fact that we have that in Amarillo is really special. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thing that strikes me is that as a result of the study, and, and not just the activities of the study, but the way it was designed and, and the way that it's gotten data that's repeatable, you know, and, and results that are repeatable, is that kids all over the world who have autism are going to see, hopefully, changes in how they relate to things as a result of what happened here. And, and I don't think we could have predicted that yeah. when we started it. We did it because we didn't know what was the best therapy to provide a child with autism in a pool setting. There was really no You're research. You're trying to find your own best practices, I guess. Exactly. No, there really is no, you know, we, and, and we didn't build the pool for children with autism. Uh, we built the pool for children with cerebral palsy and spina bifida and Rett syndrome and other physical disabilities because there's a mountain of evidence that it helps them, and we've seen it. Mm-hmm. We have seen miracles happen in the pool for kids with cerebral palsy specifically where limbs didn't work until seven or eight weeks of aquatic therapy and now limbs work uh hands that were clenched entire lives are now unclenched mm-hmm. and arms that were stuck are now unstuck and i mean we've seen these kinds of miracles but that we were expecting those um that, that that's why we built the pool but with with respect to the children with autism which is one of our most prevalent diagnoses and growing you know it's one in 55 children now that the center for disease control predicts is the yeah, how many children it's, it's are amazing. are dealing with this it's a very um interesting phenomenon for sure and so uh we're very blessed to have dr sloan rush that has the ability to design something that gets picked up by the world conferences and so that now we're, the world wants to hear what we're doing in our little bitty pool here in Amarillo, Texas. Uh, we were told there were 2,500 abstract submissions to this Geneva conference in Switzerland and they selected 68 wow. from around the world and our, ours was one of them. And so we're going in May and, and I have to give credit to Treva McKinney, who's our director of physical therapy, and and she's specialty certified in neurology, which is fairly rare. It's a very difficult specialty. And she'll visit. be presenting. She's yes, yeah. she's the brains behind this. Yeah. She, she, yeah, she's you know, and so uh, Dr. Sloan Runch has, has has done all the work behind the scenes, and then she's done all the work, and 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 a lot of people at Term Center, a lot of therapists, and a lot of to to make the scheduling work uh, to pull this off has has required a lot of effort. And so, but yeah, Treva's the one who's the main presenter and, and, and I just get to go yeah. uh, because I've been in the middle of this and, and I'm blessed. Turn Center should be on the cutting edge of research because we have the therapists who already are 
committed to that. And we have lots of universities who are interested in partnering with us. They have the PhD students who need the, the actual patients to do the research with. So they can design studies all day long, but if you don't have a population to do the intervention with, uh, that's useless. And so that's what Term Center has. We have yeah. children of the most diverse backgrounds you could name uh, with every just about known diagnosis that we're treating there. And so the, it's, it's definitely a rich environment for research. That's what's happening up at Term Center. And it leads to miracles. It leads to children who weren't going to ever walk or talk. Um, those children are walking and talking. Uh, and, that, and that's the miracle of Term Center and, and these therapists. It's, it's really neat. What does that tell you about Amarillo, you know, that we have a place like so, that? Yeah, no, it's, and, and the other 1,000 nonprofits, that, you know, yeah. that somebody sees a need and does something about it and asks people for help and, and for it to sustain for 88 years is because people continue to support it. It's the only way for us. I mean, we, you know, it's a couple million dollars a year that we have to raise. That's a lot, yeah. and that stresses me out. Um, <laughs> but, but you know, um, it's worth it. And the community keeps telling us, no, don't say no. We, we, we've got your back. Just keep, you know, keep helping the kids. I keep saying, yeah, but, and then they say, no, well, you know, and, we, and we've just been blessed. And so our foundation has grown, and uh, the number of kids we've been able to help just continues to grow. And I, I think it will the more we see and, and the Medicaid doesn't really like covering what we do. I mean, and, and not to bore everything with that, anybody with that, but it's the for-profit places. I don't know how they could possibly do what we do um, and make money doing it. I mean, right. I've crunched these numbers a million ways and it's, it's a, it's a losing business. And so the hospitals and the for-profit places have gotten pickier with what Medicaid they'll take if they'll take Medicaid. And I understand it and I get that. And so there will be an influx every time there's a Medicaid cut influx of referrals to turn center right. because we've never turned away a child uh, for inability to pay ever. And that's just part of our mission. That's an interesting challenge. The economics behind trying to help as many kids as you can. That's always complicated with the other thousand nonprofits that need their yeah. funding too. You don't want to take away from those, but you don't want to say no to anybody. And our kids deserve the best therapy available. And everyone up at Turn Center believes that. The community clearly believes it too, that they want our kids with special needs to have world-class therapy. And because Turn Center exists, they get it. Really, It's really cool. This week's episode is sponsored by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum, located in Canyon on the campus of West Texas A&M University. I'm a huge fan of this museum. It's the largest history museum in Texas, and, you know, one of the things I'm trying to do with this podcast is create a record of life here in Amarillo and Canyon during this period of time. But really, Panhandle Plains has been doing exactly that since it started in 1921. And what you may not know is that the museum is a nonprofit, okay? It's the, the university helps it with things like insurance and maintaining the building, but the museum itself is primarily funded by membership and by donations and visitor fees. So if it's been a while since you dropped in, go check it out. There's always something new to see among its two million artifacts, and the exhibits change all the time. Anytime is a great time to visit because PPHM is open year-round. It's open five days a week in the winter and seven days a week in the summer with closures on only a few holidays. Admission is $12.50 for adults, Tuesday through Saturday. Learn more at panhandleplains.org or on their Facebook page. Okay, I'm back with Bruce Mosley of the Turn Center. Bruce, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. I'm going to ask you eight straight questions. Your job as my guest is to answer those in whatever degree of detail you want to. 
The first one I, I wanted to ask you is, what is your favorite street in Amarillo? Well, uh, I have to go with Sixth Street on that one. Uh, Golden Lights, one of my favorite places to eat, and so is El Bracero. We eat out a lot, and so I would say uh, the Sixth Street uh, for me has a very funky side of town vibe to it, and the whole Route sixty six thing. There, it's uh, I just like it over there. Everything about that that little section of Amarillo is probably my favorite. What's your favorite kind of Amarillo weather? Uh, uh, so probably no weather. If, if, if we're not, ta- if there's <laughs> the no absence we- of weather, the absence of weather here, uh, you know, it's extreme. Uh, you know, I've lived in a lot of places and never anywhere where the weather was quite so extreme. So I think these, these moments of no weather, it's just light yeah, sunshine, it's just, no wind. And, and we have them and they're beautiful and wonderful. There's, there's nothing better, uh, you know, than those moments in the fall or spring where it's crisp and nice, but the wind's not blowing 50 miles an hour. Yeah. Uh, you know, those are, those are my favorite. What does this area have too much of? Well, it has too much wind. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you know, I mean, it, it's, yeah, and, it's, a, it's a fairly common answer. Actually. And we talk about it a lot, but it's because gosh, it's, you know, um, these last few days even, but I mean, I've been here, I think 12 years and, Every year it's been either number one or number two on windiest city in America on this weather channel report. I don't know if you've seen that, but I, it, yeah. yeah, it comes out with what's the average miles per hour in these cities and Amarillo's right up and there. And I always feel like that average miles per hour seems really, really low. I'm just like, oh, was, yeah, like 12 what? miles an hour? For, on know? average for the whole, yeah. So, right. Uh, yeah, Anything under 20 seems nice. Right. Know? Yeah, exactly. And so, the, and then, you know, and the combination of that and, and the cows, so, so too many cows and, and too much wind is, is not a good combo, and everybody knows what that Perfect leads storm. to. And, and so, what does this area, you know, this area not have enough of? Yeah, so for me, it's, it's natural water yeah. and trees. You know, I mean, I think we're, we have some neighborhoods with trees, but having lived in Austin for a number of years and nature and creeks being you don't an have important to plant part of my the life. trees there. Here, if you want a tree, you have to go out and plant but, it. Yeah, you know? no, right. In Austin, yeah. they're taking trees down because they're building stuff. It's you know? yeah. Uh, so I, I miss I miss creeks yeah. uh, a lot. I miss, I miss them a lot. You know, the natural water source freaks me out a little bit about this area. You know, the Ogallala is it, and I don't. The last time I looked at it, it was not rechargeable. Yeah, uh, you know, and, and I don't. I'm at not, least not I, in the short term. I, and so I don't know that that concerns me yeah. for this area. In a long-term way. Yeah, rightly so. Um, so in, uh, in May, you'll be talking to an international audience in Europe about things that are happening in Amarillo. How do you describe Amarillo to people who don't know this area? You know, so well for Europeans, the the appeal they is probably the Wild West. know Amarillo. No, the right? capital, so you do you, I mean, and and I'm not. They'll exact, sing the Neil Sedaka song. Oh, right, yeah, <laughs> exactly. They'll and but no, they'll cowboy hats and ride. Do you ride a horse to work? And you know, there's that kind of imagery. You know, for Amar- for all the places I've lived in Texas, it, that's kind of real here. It's most people do own a horse around <laughs> here, and you know, more people and, than you think. Probably. Yeah, and and uh, you know how I describe it to most people. You know, and what I love about it, you know, is that it's the most stress free place I've ever lived. Hmm. And having lived all over and then even thinking about if we wanted to move anywhere, where would we move? And, you know, it's grass isn't necessarily any greener anywhere you look. It's, uh, you know, having come from Austin, it's like, well, gosh, Austin is an appealing place to us and we love it. And there's so much, but there's too much and it's stressful. And yeah, what do you think makes this place? more stress-free than other places. Well, so tra- I mean, it starts to, and ends with traffic to okay. me, but in every way, shape or form, but the crowdedness and the traffic and the, I, I haven't experienced traffic here really. I mean, getting in and out of the medical center sometimes can be a chore, but compared to Austin and Dallas and Houston and San Antonio, 
I mean, uh, you know, there's no such thing as a hour commute where you, you know, and we're in a season where the traffic feels worse than it's ever been because of construction and stuff. And it's still, but there's still a way to go bad. to where you don't even experience it. Yeah. You could go to the long, the long way and it takes 10 minutes instead of seven. Yeah. Uh, and Ooh, that's tough. You know, you know and, and, and yeah, you feel it here, but that's, you're feeling that versus no, I got stuck on a wrong day where there was a wreck and it was three hours. Yeah. Like what happens in Austin. And so the quality of life here. Is the what I describe to people is is just the you know for raising three kids where we're at I can't ima- there's not anywhere that's better for us and so I describe that to people it's for raising a family it's it's easy and you know if it wasn't so windy and it had creeks it would be perfect um, that's what we need is creeks <laughs> yeah well yeah you know we've got a lot uh, of dry winds I guess but yeah. So you, you mentioned uh, the Big Texan earlier when you talked about traveling through Amarillo. <laughs> what about the other side of I-40? When was the last time you went to Cadillac Ranch? That exact trip. Same same time? Yeah. The, the, it was yeah. the second item on your destination I think list. those are the two we checked off All right. on our on our way. Uh, and that was the so, last time you went there? I, I think so. I, I Yeah. And, and I think my wife told me she's never been there, raised, mm. you know, born and raised here. So she's never stopped and gone, you know, to the cars, but... You know, I've seen it a million times. Now you have driving something by. to do this weekend. Right, <laughs> right. yeah. And I mean, I, I should take my kids out there just to explore them. It's an interesting thing, for yeah, sure. Oh, for sure. What What's your favorite Amarillo restaurant? Favorite restaurant. So it's got to be between two, really. But, you know, and then I think about all these genres of foods. That I, yeah, it's like, well, what's what your Mexican favorite Mexican place? Yeah, what's that your kind favorite? of thing. Um, but, gosh, my our go-to is Rooster's. Okay. Um, you know, which is only open for lunch, really, or bre- breakfast and lunch. But for lunch, it's it's roosters. And then I don't know if you know about Thai Star on the boulevard. Yeah. It's a bit of a dive. But it's before I moved here and had been to Amarillo, I, I used to describe it all the time as my favorite r- restaurant in the world, anywhere in the world. Where could you pay? What, what's your last meal? And it was Dow's Fried Rice from yeah. Thai Star. I mean, that's, it, that's the kind of uh, restaurant that the cops like to eat at. And if, if it's popular with policemen, like, you know, that's, yeah. that's a place to go. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and if I get to count six car and crush together as a restaurant, I would say that one's pretty hard to beat okay. uh, downtown for dinner. Uh, so, but with three kids, you know, we favorite and where we actually go are usually two different things. Understandable. <laughs> okay. This, this is a new question I want to ask. Uh, are you more likely to go to a drive through for coffee or to one for iced tea? Well, definitely coffee. Okay, uh, daily, you know. So that's a daily thing. But this iced tea concept's interesting one. I remember when the first one popped up. I thought that's a strange concept. How many cups of tea do you How have to sell to, to to pay rent? You know, and and employees like it's just a fascinating. But and now they're all over the city. You and know? and I, yeah, and I and I like it. I like driving through for iced tea. So, so where do you go for coffee? All of them. Okay. Uh, really, uh, to be honest, and now if I'm driving through. I try to go local usually with roasters on the way, but you know sometimes that lines all the way, uh, and, and so it's a it's a Starbucks or a roasters every morning. I like to go to Palace and Evocation and Cliffside. If I'm down, you know, if I'm in that part of town, so you really you really do cover oh, all of them. I lo- yeah, I love coffee. I need it to survive. That concludes uh, the eight straight section, Bruce. I like to close by asking my guest to endorse something. I think the thing that you probably are most likely to endorse is the turn center. So I'm going to take that off the table, something other than the work that happens there. Well, am I allowed to say, am I allowed to use kids inclusion? That was the one I was planning on, but we you know, mentioned it earlier. We talked about that some, but yeah. It's I mean, new and, and, you know, bowling's about to start. And so, and this is for all kids. Every kid should consider signing up for bowling um, or whatever the next sport is going to be. But because we're planning a lot of 
all sports uh, to offer this in a format where it's safe and fun and still competitive, but not quite as competitive as a traditional kids ink league. Mm-hmm. You know, so this is I, th- I think would be appealing to it's it's appealing to more than just the kids with disabilities and their siblings and friends, which it's already it's already been really successful with that. Uh, we haven't really advertised this too much. It's really been word of mouth, and mm-hmm. and it's already been as much as we can handle as far as how many kids are doing it. But it's, I, I can't exaggerate enough the, the cool and everyone feels it. Everyone in the building feels how cool it is when these kids are playing soccer, for example, it's my favorite so far. Cause it was the first like, real team sport where the dynamics are such that that's complicated with, there are kids in wheelchairs. There are kids who are normally in wheelchairs, but they're have their older sibling holding them up in a kind of a, an upsy type thing. That's kind of like, and they're running around playing soccer and a kid in a wheelchair and a kid in a walker and kids just, and of all abilities. And because we're playing with this little Nerf ball, even if you're really good at soccer, it's really hard to score a goal. Yeah. I mean, really hard. You can't just drill that little Nerf ball. And so these games, right. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's an equalizer. That's kind of the idea behind all the sports is we're adapting them to make it fair for everyone. We want it to still be competitive. You're trying to win. The green team's trying to beat the yellow team. You, you want to score more goals. It's than not all just like participation ribbon kind of stuff. It, 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 it actually p- has that competitive element. That- yeah, it does. No, it does. And I mean, and there's definitely the participation element part of it too, that that's, we, we did stage some goals for some kids, Okay, um, but we didn't have to. And, and some certain elements too, where we were, it was like, no, the, the kids who we thought we'd have to stage goals for got legitimate goals wow. in the game because of, you know, the way the game went and for this to be long-term successful. And we think it, I mean, it's just such a great model. Uh, we, we definitely need kids of all abilities uh, to know about it and check into it. And it's like, well, maybe you had a bad experience with soccer or, or something else that was just too competitive and, or this is perfect for that. It's a, this is such a stress-free fun environment when you put kids down and say you're against them and you're trying to score trust me it gets competitive yeah, immediately yeah. amongst the kids I and mean, the it, sign up for this all happens through kids inc it's it does yeah you go through kids inc and the amarillo section of the kids inc website has a kids inclusion button and okay. it has all the information there and bowling's the next sport and then we're already planning for for more we've already done soccer and track and i think we're going to do another decathlon and those events cool. were fun i mean there are some really neat creative things that our therapists come up with for these events where you know we did some relays where there were kids in wheelchairs for one leg of the relay and kids in walkers for the next leg of the relay um and so we've paired it up to where it's always a pretty competitive yeah. event and so yeah all the teams are evenly divided and and that's the way it's designed to start with and so we're going to be probably doing t-ball and kickball and basketball and uh, getting kids together and playing sports and getting that team feel is powerful i've seen it and 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 you, everybody talks about that and knows about that when you're doing competitive sports and you talk about the leadership and all these skills that you get just from being on a team and playing on a team and understanding those dynamics these kids are getting that didn't have that opportunity before hmm. and it's neat and and then the one the kids who were maybe shunned from the you know they were the 10th best team of 10 you know they were the last right. kid picked on their now they're the leader on this team they're facilitating a kid in a wheelchair getting a goal um, and they're they're the leaders. It's it's cool. it's it, it really is this really cool and special sports league. It's inclusion. All right, well, Bruce Mosley, thanks so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Well, thank you. I love it. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to Bruce for the interview, and especially to Panhandle Plains for sponsoring this week's show. You can learn more about the Turn Center at turncenter.org. Also, go to the museum. If you have kids, take them this Saturday. I guarantee they'll have fun. 
Executive producers of Hey Amarillo include Neil Nossiman, Patrick Burns, Wes Reeves, Jennifer Callahan, Ryan Pennington, Katie Linger, Corey Burns, Daniel Davis, and Wilson Lemieux. You can be one of those names. You can help produce the show by visiting patreon.com slash heyamarillo. Uh, it's a platform that provides me some funding so I can continue to make this show free of charge, available to everybody who wants to listen. And if that's you, I assume it is because you're still here. Thank you for listening. I really do appreciate it. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>